Welcome back, everybody, to the Rooted in Logos podcast, episode number 65. My name is Brad. I'm joined, as always, by my dear friend, Austin. Austin, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good. Pretty good. How about yourself? Oh, doing all right. So we actually recorded episode number 65 live again. In fact, I think it's going to be our next three or four episodes are going to be done like this. But we wanted to hop on and just say hey and kind of give our thoughts on a couple of things before we get rolling. Um, first thing, how, how are you enjoying this apologetics study? I'm liking it. I really am. Um, I think we mentioned before how, like, growing up, I've never done any actual, like, apologetics class or studies or anything. Just that's the way I was raised. I was raised in an apologetic home. So actually being able to go through it with the mindset of apologetics but then also from the side of, okay, now teaching it. It's been very informative for yeah. me and definitely just learning a lot myself. Yeah, so this week we wrapped up the um, the canon of Scripture, talked about some of the kind of different claims that people make. Mm-hmm. We also started talking about deconstruction, and we're going to get into that in a lot more detail yeah. this uh, this coming up week, episode, episode number 66. We'll dive a lot more into... The uh, the deconstruction, maybe jump into progressive Christianity a little bit, and what is it, minimalism? Is that what you... Yeah, biblical uh, theological minimalism. Yeah, I actually don't know what that is, so I'm excited to... Oh, it's a made-up word. Oh, is it? A, a kind of a made-up word, uh, kind of not. I think it's coined by uh, Brian Sylvay, Okay, I believe, but yeah. Well, we'll he Austin sent me a link to a, a podcast that I haven't listened to yet, so... <laughs> it's fine. They're, well, he, they're he, he sent new. it to me yesterday. They're pretty new. So. It's, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> So I'll listen to that this week, but we're going to dive into that next week, and maybe the next couple weeks, kind of, that'll be where we spend some time. We have, uh, what, until the middle of July before we're done, so almost to the we, end of we July. might be doing these live episodes for a while, so a couple of things before we get started on that. Um, I want to first just kind of, you know, give our support and our thoughts and our prayers to those out in Texas who were involved in that shooting. I mean, it, just a absolute senseless act that... Uh, Evil. I mean, uh, looking at yeah. it, all you, all you can chalk it up to, it, it's evil. It is evil in this world. Yeah. And, you know, people, of course, immediately run to politicize and run to do whatever. I, I don't know if there's an easy answer to this problem. I, I don't think there is an answer to this problem other than Christ coming back. Like, I mean, it yeah. sounds kind of trite, but, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of where we are. Because yeah. no matter how many laws you make, people are still going to break them. Yeah, people are still going to find a way to their way to get the guns. People are still find a way to kill other people. I mean, yeah. it, again, it sounds a little simplistic, but Cain didn't kill Abel with a gun. It's true, right? I mean, well, and it, it is that thought process of okay, say we get rid of the guns. Okay, well, we we've seen countries where they've done that. Look over in England, um, they've pretty much got rid of all of them. They've even outlawed uh, knives to a certain inch percentage. Mm. And they still have murders over there. Yeah. Now, granted, okay, yeah, take into account of not as many. Why? Because, yes, you can't. It's a little harder. Y- yeah, you can't <laughs> run into a room and kill 19 people with a knife without something happening. Right. Versus a gun. Yes, that is true. But. Well, I mean, we, we protect our president. We protect leaders. We protect civilians we protect the, this country with weapons why are we not protecting our kids that is with guns I mean it, it doesn't make any sense to me and you know I, I do think one solution is is to find a way to do that not just put one resource officer yeah. in the building Armed sometime 
any arm the teacher teachers that wants to care if no if the teacher doesn't want to great yeah but don't let anybody know which teacher has a gun that way you have a big sticker on every door of that school says our teachers may be armed yeah and that's all you that's, that's all, all you need. need it'd be such a huge deterrent and, and it makes sense i think another easy solution to this problem would be to uh say it with me kids get your kids out of public school <laughs> yes I mean, granted, this could yes. happen in private school too, but it's a lot less common. It doesn't matter. Get your kids out. Get your of kids out of public school. Yeah. That, would, that would solve a lot of this, uh, if you can, of course. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, just absolutely tragic. And again, to see people politicizing this immediately just never ceases to amaze me. It should, shouldn't amaze me, right? Like, I shouldn't, shouldn't be surprised by people jumping immediately into politics. And, yeah. But it just, I don't know. It's, it's sad. And so our heart goes out to them, and and you know, obviously, and you know, you you were praying too, but it's just it's brutal. But yeah. we we wanted to share our thoughts on that and just kind of acknowledge it and not just yeah. ignore it. That was kind of my whole thought process: is we want to yeah. acknowledge it, don't ignore it. So, well, and and it leads into the topic of um, which we we will get into. Just we have we have too many on the list as of right now, but the concept of you know why does bad things happen to good people or just yeah. Uh, Again, yeah, why why can one young kid with a gun come in and kill 19 little children? Right. It's like, why are we in a world where that happens? Yeah. And that's a very good question. It's a very common question. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's something that we'll, we'll dive into at some point and kind of break that apart as well. Well, um, on that happy note, <laughs> we're going to dive into this next lesson of projects. Like I said, it is live, so you were going to hear other voices besides ours, and, and well, just like last week's episodes, and, and hopefully you guys are enjoying this. Those of you that listen and don't come to our church and or don't come to our class, hopefully you guys enjoy this kind of different kind of method. Yeah. It's, it's actually helping us with scheduling, too, like yeah. just not having to record twice and having to prep twice, and so it's kind of helping us do that, so... A little bit of selfish ambi- uh, uh, reasoning behind <laughs> doing it this way until we kind of revamp and, and yeah. do some new stuff in a couple of weeks. But uh, we do hope you all enjoy it. Uh, reach out to us on social media if you have any questions. I think the last week we do this, we're going to try and take questions from people in the class. And if anybody on here has a question they want us to kind of go through about apologetics or something that we've said in the last few weeks, uh, drop us a line on Facebook, Rooted in Logos, L-O-G-O-S, Rooted in Logos, on yeah. Facebook or Instagram. Uh, I monitor both of those. Austin monitors those, and we will uh, we will answer accordingly. Yeah. So yeah, reach out, ask questions, get on our Patreon, and support us. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Rooted in Logos or Patreon.com slash Rooted in Logos. Uh, I'm gonna actually probably start talking about that a little bit more in the f- coming weeks after we wrap up apologetics. But Austin, I have some planning we got to do. So. <laughs> anyway, but uh, I love yeah. how you always do there. Like, oh yeah, by the way, we need to talk about stuff. Yeah, oh, okay, cool. Just ideas. I have ideas. Let's talk about that. Anyway, so anyway, uh, we hope you guys enjoy this. Um, we're gonna just end the episode. You know how it ends with prayer uh, on on our recording. So, like us, give us five stars. We will see you guys next week for episode number sixty six. And in the meantime, stay, stay rooted. rooted. Enjoy this episode. Apologetics, but trust me, trust us, it all ties in. Uh, This is all defense of the faith. So I'll I'll open us up in prayer and then we'll get going. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I praise your holy and awesome and precious name. Thank you yet again for yet another beautiful day on your green earth. 
and the time that we get to gather together and go through your word. Um, I ask that you would bless us and grant us your wisdom, your guidance, your direction. As we read your word, give us your understanding and uh, just bless this time that we're able to gather together as brothers and sisters without persecution, without fear of someone coming in and taking us, taking us out and um, putting us in prison, all of the above. I thank you. It is in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So kind of piggybacking off of and building on to last week. Um, well, talking... Real quick, real quick. This one, we are recording this one again, so... Anything you say will be used against you on Wednesday when it comes out. So, just so you know, it is he's, he's being recorded. Kidding. He's kidding. <laughs> am, am I though? No. No. Okay. Right. Yeah. So we're we're building off of trusting the canon of Scripture. Uh, we'll we'll hit on a few, uh, kind of reiterating a few things that we did last week, but just being able to trust the sixty six books in this book. Um, we're we're going to be talking a little bit about. I guess practical things of today's day and age. Uh, so we'll be bringing those up, but we we got a couple more. Oh, what are they called? Claims. Claims more, against scripture. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll go through. Go so through two more claims against scripture. We did three last week. We we'll do two more this week, and then get into a couple other topics. But uh, so this claim here says the early Christians did not have the means to copy the texts accurately. Uh, essentially, what this argument claims. Oh, that's fancy. Um, is that there was no infrastructure. There was no uh, norms of copying. So, like, they didn't have it organized. They were um, just kind of willy-nilly writing things down and, and not copying the text. Um, and that these earliest Christian scribes were uneducated. They could barely read, if they could read at all. And they were susceptible to grievous mistakes. Um, these are the claims that are being made. And so... The question we need to ask is, did the early Christians have the scribal infrastructure or the ability to copy the texts reliably? Um, well, I think yes. I think the answer is yes. And so we're going to sh- look at a couple things. Um, so we're going to look at the handwriting in the earliest manuscripts. So this handwriting indicates that the scribes were professional scribes. They were trained in copying both documentary and literary texts. So... Most of these scribes do not have been literary scribes, who, and they would have primarily copied books to be sold commercially. However, our early Christian scribes would have been well-trained for employment by individuals to do such things as copy letters, reproduce uh, literary pieces, write letters by taking dictation, and generate administrative documents. So you look at Paul in uh, Romans. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. So Paul would use... A scribe, right? He would dictate what he was, what he wanted written, and the scribe would write it. So they were prevalent in the first century. Um, one doesn't have to wonder if the earliest Christians used such scribes. So the New Testament, like I said, Paul does it. So there is no reason to conclude that the scribes, like Tertius, who wrote Romans on behalf of Paul, were less skilled than the scribes who were primarily for commercial copying. Um, there's a, a guy named Harry Gamble. Uh, he did a study on early Christian text. He has a quote that says, there is no reason to think that commercially, commercially produced books were of higher quality than privately made copies. Indeed, frequent complaints suggest they were often worse. So again, they were educated. They were able to do this job. And as, as we read through scripture, if there were to be any human fault or error when it comes to writing 
Scripture out. As we see in uh, Timothy where it says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Uh, <clears throat> Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, starting verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, uh, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So we believe that God preserves his word. God, again, breathed out by God through men, put it down on paper. God is protecting his words, even through our mistakes. He is making it inerrant, infallible. And, uh, and I, again, we just see that. We see that reading through Scripture. Yeah. Part, part of what I do for a living deals with internal controls, which is basically looking at processes, checks and balances, so that inputs will generate the proper output. Doing this, having the, the right processes and check and balances for, for copying is not rocket science. You don't need technology. Yeah. You don't need a lot of infrastructure. Now, you would need multiple people and then getting the right checks and balances, but we're not talking about, you, you know, you don't have to... It doesn't take an advanced society to be able to do this the right way. Again, right. for the most part, it's enough people... You know, more than one person, if we're talking about the copying, not the original dictation, but, right. but getting those, you know, the original copied accurately, it would just take enough people and a, a process in place that you, you double check what they wrote. Uh, again, I mean, 2,000 years ago, uh, people were intelligent enough and they had enough, you know, wherewithal to be able to do this. this again, this is simple. Right. Yeah. This is simple stuff. Well, we talked about last week uh, some of the um, variances, right? Some of the differences we see in Scripture are simply just misspellings, you know, maybe a, a grammatical difference here and there. Things that aren't super important, things aren't super that, that are going to happen when you take ten people and copy the same thing, right? If 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 all of us in this room were to make try to copy my notes word for word, there's going to be some minor mistakes here and there. It's it's going to happen because that's just part of the game that's that's what any variants we see in these manuscripts are typically going to be they're going to be just little misspellings here and there little things that are inconsequential because we can't deny that there are some variances in these manuscripts i mean there are but they're very inconsequential and so it's over the, these claims they make the process seem over complicated right they yeah, let's, they, let's say we took 10 yeah we like 10 people copy your notes well we're not done you know, we've got, let's say we've got a, a Q and a, what's it, quality assurance? What is it? Quality control. Quality control. Yeah. There's a quality control team. And we've got, let's say we take your, your notes and we say, all right, everybody, you, you write this line. You can only put so many words per line. You stop. And so that way, everybody's writing. And, and let's say we say everybody, you know, you write about the same size. So you can visually look and make sure that, all right. Uh, sentences are ending in the same spot. If somebody's got a short sentence, you say, all right, well, you, know, you, you left out the word the. But the, the, the quality control board is the one that, you know, it's not done until it goes through that process. And, you know, you can do, again, you just need people and time. Right. You don't need technology. Well, and so to, for, for an example, um, uh, when the New King James Bible came out, um, uh, it is still to this day one of the most accurate translations. Uh, 
but coming based off of the, the, the Catholic Church, whenever they found the word Passover, they would translate it to Easter. Well, as we look at the Jewish calendar and the Gregorian calendar, the one we use, Easter and Passover don't line up all the time. So the translation from Passover to Easter is not quite correct. So we see a, a human error there. Is it, it, does it make any difference with salvation or anything like that? No, not, not necessarily. But we do see where God fixes it by other men. We see the new King James come out and they translate it back to Passover. Uh, the ESV, the uh, NLT, all the others, they, they put it back to Passover. Now, is it, again, is it a big issue? No, but that's just an example of where, okay, men have retranslated it, and they, they looked at Passover and they put Easter instead. In Catholicism, Easter is very big, whereas Passover in the evangelical, in the Jewish tradition, it's still very prevalent and still very important. There's no reason why you would switch it. So just kind of a little example of how that would happen, but it also shows that God still protects his word and he still has other men like Paul, like the apostles throughout uh, the early church. And even until now that still protect God's word. And we see that through history. This, this is a silly claim. I think we can dismiss. Yeah. yeah. If you look up, look up in, in your concordance scribe, it's all through the old Testament. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the King's officers, and brought the Levites and the king's scribes and the chief priests, which are kings had scribes way back in the Old Testament. Yeah. The whole the whole system of 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 capturing any information and holding on to it yeah. was designed by a system of scribes. And and remember, every time Christ he was uh, you Pharisees and you you what and Pharisees? scribes and Pharisees, you scribes and Pharisees. Okay, but they were they were meticulously. Mm-hmm. Copying what they had in the Old Testament in yeah. the Scriptures, meticulous. And uh, when uh, the, the the Magi uh, said, "Where's the king to be born uh, of the Jews?" Because we saw a star, and King Herod heard this. He gathered together all the priests and scribes of the people. This is uh, right out of Matthew two, chapter uh, uh, Matthew two, verse four. Yeah, this was throughout their whole system yeah. of their society. To me, this is a silly point. And, and you're not going to necessarily, yeah, you're not going to necessarily have someone come no, up to you and say, "Well, they." Weak point. Yeah. Well, you're, you're not going to have something better than that. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, you're not going to have someone that just uh, comes up to you and says, "Well, they just didn't copy it right." And describe. There's, there's going to be a less uh, complicated way that someone's going to come to you and say, "Well, how do we know the Bible? How, how can you trust the Bible?" Yeah. That's really what it boils down to. They're going to say something like that, and there's. These claims are going to be implied. Obviously, someone on the streets is probably not going to be like, "Well, I read the, the scribes, and they could." Well, I could, you know, comes up with this right. stuff. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, like you said last week, they, the Jewish people, were meticulous about keeping the Old Testament the, yeah. exactly the way it was. Records why were would, important. Why would they all of a sudden stop doing it just because it's the New Testament? Right. Well, and well, so I mean, still the same. Ezra, group of Ezra, Nehemiah, First uh, Chronicles. Ezra was known as the chronicler mm-hmm. um, and the scribe. Um, so yeah, and no, that's it. Why? Why would they automatically just stop? Right. Yeah. Well, and to go along with that, you have the um, nomina sacra. We'll go with that. Uh, 
Basically, that means sacred names. All right. So these were abbreviations of special words such as Jesus, Christ, Lord, and God in early Christian documents. These words weren't abbreviated to save time or space, but out of reverence and devotion to the names being written. Um, they appear in the earliest manuscripts and are exclusive to Christianity. They also appear in a wide array of regions and languages. So this shows a degree of organization, planning, and uniformity of practice. The fact that these abbreviations were used in different languages, different regions, throughout all the manuscripts show that they were organized. They knew what they were doing. They took this seriously. They were, they were devoted to this. They wanted to make sure that they preserved, and in this case, specifically the New Testament, and that the books of the New Testament were transcribed faithfully. Yeah. So next is the Codex. Has anybody heard of the Codex? Does anyone know what that is? Yes, no, maybe? All right. <laughs> so a lot of times, or most of the time back in this, in this day, they wrote on, on scrolls, right? They would unroll the scroll. It would be written inside the scroll. Well, the Codex is actually more like a modern-day book. All right, it's a collection of parchment paper that were bound together and written kind of like a book. So um, this was the primary way early Christians copied the New Testament. Uh, it became a, the common practice of the Christian church by the second century. And it was not picked up by the rest of the Greco-Roman culture until around the fourth century. So the Christians, early Christians, were the first group of people that used the codex, used a book-like system. So it indicates a couple of things um, that describes an early Christians held these books in high regard. And that not only that they held them in high regard, they needed to be bound together. They needed to be kept together in one volume so we had it all and not on multiple scrolls that could be separated, lost, and, and destroyed. One copy of, of one volume and one work. And again, just shows that they were organized. They were educated. They knew what they were doing. This wasn't, these weren't just some people off the street that had no education, couldn't read, couldn't, couldn't copy, couldn't write. They know what they're doing. Professionals. They're professionals, that's right. And because God helped them. <laughs> so the next claim we're going to address real quick um, is it is useless to say the Bible is the inspired word of God when we don't have the original words. So you'll hear some, someone say something to the effect of, well, how do we know that what's written down is the actual word of God when we don't have these original manuscripts? So we don't have the original text. We don't know what was said. It was changed over time. All these variances. Um, I have a quote from that, the guy that I've mentioned, Brett Ehrman, a few times. Uh, he says, how does it help us to say that the Bible is the inerrant word of God if, in fact, we don't have any of the words that God inerrantly inspired, but only words copied by the scribes, sometimes correctly, but sometimes, many times, incorrectly? Again, a weak claim. And I would just say this. I have one little paragraph on this, uh, nothing even super profound and super in depth, but it says just because we don't have the original doesn't mean we can't work back to determining what it said, given how many copies we have. So we talked about this last week, right? We have almost 6,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. The other big major works of ancient history, we have like three. Or at the most, what was it, 50, I think, at the most? I think Homer's Iliad was maybe about 100 or so. Okay. Yeah. So that surfaced 2,000 years after the originals. Right. Yeah. So we have manuscripts from 30 to 40 years after the events took place. And we have over 5,000 of them. Yeah. So again, 
we don't have to work that hard to see what the original text said because, as we've claimed, they were faithful in trans- transcribing it, and we have a ton of copies. So to prove we no longer have the... Wait, oh, go so, ahead. Uh, well, go ahead. No, I was saying... Yeah, to prove we no longer have the words of the originals, we would need to show that none of the variants in the available manuscripts go back to the original. So there's no proof. There's no way to say, well, we don't have the original words. Well, we, we kind of do. We yeah. have the original words. We have the manuscripts. Well, and as we talked about last week, off of those 6,000 manuscripts that surfaced within the first century, off of those 6,000 we have another twenty to twenty-three or twenty-five thousand documents based off of the first-century early church fathers, um, men that literally, from their writings, uh, um, Polycarp. There is a man by the name of Polycarp within the first century that his writings go all the way back to saying he was taught by John, the apostle John, and. Um, that was actually one of the ways that they were actually able to determine their, um, not de- descent, but um, their lineage, basically, of their teaching. Uh, from John, uh, the Apostle John, you have Poly- Polycarp, and then you have Eusebius. U- I don't know how to say their names. But they can actually go back to, hey, this person was taught by this person that was taught by Peter. And they were able to do that within that first century. Again, uh, documents... Um, historical documents that were written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. So now that and, we have the that, verses, the verses are in there. They're referenced. They're referenced. That's the thing. Yes, we find all these verses in these other documents. Yeah, from the it's not a copy of the of the scripture. It's just he's writing commentary. Direct he's writing, quotes. Uh, yeah. You know, here's what we think we ought to do. Here's what you know. And here's my verse for that. Right. Right. Out of those 20,000 documents, we could retranslate the New Testament all but 11 verses, and they've done it multiple times. And then with that, just building off of that, um, (laughs) looking at those 6,000 and then the 20,000, then translating all the surrounding, the Syriac, the Coptic, and the Latin, and then keeping it in Greek, just all those different documents solidifying those six and they all work together and it goes back to the scribes it goes back to the people writing things out we have the proof we have i think now it's like three hundred thousand documents that all go back to the original six thousand that go back to the original writings of the apostles so it to say that it's not is idiocy. The the, the evidence is overwhelming. And again, the the evidence is far superior to any evidence for any other ancient writings that we have. That academia specifically claims is truth Mm -hmm. and claims is accurate and claims is is real. So like we talk about Homer's books and and some of the books of of the... Julius Caesar Gaelic Wars. We have half a dozen. So the overwhelming majority. So really, honestly, the burden of proof is on the skeptics here because they would have to disprove thousands upon thousands yeah. of, of manuscripts and copies that we actually do have. Yeah. yeah. And, okay. Stop. I'm going to start the first part. And if, I'm, if it's coming up in the slide, just stop it. And we'll, go, we'll wait. It probably yeah. isn't because we're going on to the next thing next. <laughs> if you were going to preserve the word of God through fallible people, you going to that next? No. Okay. Go would you 
keep the one actual piece of paper that John wrote the book of John on. Would that be the way you would do it? I, I would not. Why? Well, for one, definitely, if it was written by the book of John and we could actually physically touch it, what would happen? What would people do to that book? <laughs> they would worship that book. Yes. That was touched by the Apostle John. Well, what, what would, or they'd destroy what it. What would powerful, wealthy <laughs> yeah. people do with yeah. that piece of paper? Oh, they would want Control to, it. They would want to destroy that to prove that and say, that well, this was the original. And, yeah, right. and you know, use and theirs, change it and change it to be yeah, their own. So, so, so we don't go back to the original piece of paper, and God, in His wisdom, doesn't give us that. And we he see gives that us all this, yeah. all these manuscripts from all these different people, and all these other uh, writings from all these other people that reference all these verses that we can put re-put the entire Bible back together except for eleven verses. Right. That's what He gives us. This yeah. wealth of evidence. Right. And we see that in the Old Testament. Look what he did with the Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant yes. had the the Ten Commandments in stone. Right. They had the first five books that Moses wrote by way of God laid in the Ark of the Covenant. We don't have the Ark of the Covenant anymore. We don't have those anymore. Right. Why? Because God knew the heart of man. God knew that if we had those <laughs> things, predominantly more of us would be worshiping that image. And that is a commandment. Thou shall have no graven images. So the yeah, that is that is God's eternal wisdom at play right there. Right. One because of the because he's preserving his word through fallible people. But, yeah. Yeah. Thousands and thousands of them. Yeah. One of the books I was reading, uh, kind of in studying this uh, over time. And I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but it's basically like the height of arrogance. It's the height of arrogance to say, "Well, I wouldn't have preserved it this way, therefore God didn't do it." the way he did it right it's well because i i wouldn't do it this way so god must not have done it doesn't seem logical yeah, it doesn't to seem me. logical to me yeah um well his ways are not our ways his thoughts are not our thoughts Wisdom he's gonna do things yeah, yeah. <laughs> even so I mean, we can come up with lots of reasons why that would not be a good way to preserve it right yeah oh yeah all day long yeah so it, yeah so looking um again looking at the the inerrancy of scripture predominantly what we are going to run into is this is not going to be a Christian versus non-Christian issue. This is going to be a Christian versus Christian issue. Um, we're we're going to dive in a little bit today into the topics of progressivism, into deconstruction a little bit. Because when we get into apologetics, when we get into the defense of our faith, what we believe, why we believe it, being able to convey that effectively to other people, more times, I, I can, I think maybe one or twice have I had an actual conversation with an unbeliever or even an, an atheist and had these discussions. But nine times out of ten, I have talked with other believers that don't hold the sufficiency of Scripture to where it needs to be. Um, as we look at, we talked about it a little bit last week, we look at the the Old Testament apocryphal books, or the New Testament apocryphal books. Apocrypha just means uh, hidden. And uh, I, I asked you guys last week, but do you guys have the Gospel of Timothy, or the, the Gospel of Thomas in your New Testament, or do you have the Book of Tobed, or um, Second Ezra, or the Book of Enoch, or anything like that? 
those are those are known as the apocrypha. Those are books that. So the Old Testament. The Old Testament was complete. The canon of the Old Testament, known as the Tanakh, was laid up in the temple about 200 years before Christ. As we read through Scripture, whenever Jesus is having a conversation with the scribes, with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees, never once do we encounter a time where they're debating on, oh, well, actually, that book wasn't supposed to be in there. This book was. They knew the sufficiency of Scripture. They knew what was breathed out by God and what wasn't. Um, many of these books at that time were already written. So uh, by the time of Jesus, you had the, the book of First and Second Maccabees. Um, and a lot of people, they will say, oh, well, why aren't, aren't the book of Maccabees in there? If you go to a Catholic church, they will be. And it's like, okay, well, why do you have it in your Bible, but we don't? Well, right offhand, actually the book of Maccabees tell us that it is not God-breathed. They, they actually tell us that. It's more of a historical account. Um, but many of the other books, one, they have dated to be past when they were supposed to be written. Not like the New Testament where we see things surface within the first few decades, but like long after. So take the book of Enoch, for for instance. Um Nowhere throughout history is it mentioned. Nowhere in the Jewish culture or writings have it, has it ever been mentioned like some of the other apocryphal books. We have only seen it within the 2nd to 3rd century pop up. And they're like, oh, well, supposedly this is an account by Enoch himself, as in a descendant from Adam by the 5th generation, I believe. <clears throat> um, so they're like, okay, why isn't that in there? Why do... Why doesn't Jesus quote them? Well, one, Jesus knows his own words. And there, there is no debate on what is the word of God and what isn't. Um, also, when Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees, when they're quoting scripture, predominantly they're actually using the Septuagint. So the Septuagint is the Greek translation from the original Hebrew Tanakh. Okay, so now we have a translation from the original Hebrew into Greek, but Jesus himself is using it, and he's not debating if it's supposed to be there or not. So now we see men translating from Hebrew to Greek, but the Son of God, the Word of God, is still using it, which means it is sufficient. It is still inerrant. Um, so getting into today, getting into that conversation of what's in Scripture, what's not, we are predominantly talking to other believers. Um, or those who profess belief. Or those who profess belief. Um, so, uh, really quick, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. I'm going to spend a lot of time in Timothy, by the way. <laughs> so, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose conscience, consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So right off the bat, we see 
Some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to uh, deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Um, okay, this is my opinion, but looking at the book of Enoch, reading through it a few times, it is a scary book. Not just because of the crazy stuff that's in it, but because of how it contradicts Scripture. So many times throughout these 66 books of the Bible, the book of Enoch goes against it. And I see that as, and I, I could be wrong, but the teachings of demons, deceitful spirits, things that are leading astray. And again, it just contradicts what the rest of the gospel says, and, it, and it's dangerous. Um, looking at through, okay, uh, those who forbid marriage and requiring abstinence from foods. We, we see that in the early church when we transition into Catholicism. Um, the priests, the monks, it, it was required to be abstinent. You cannot have a wife. You had to be celibate, and it was required. You had to do that. As we through, see through Scripture, that's not correct. That's not what God intended for them to do. As we look at Paul, and Paul says, I wish you were like me. It wasn't Paul saying, you, you need to be like me. Uh, you should all be celibate. You should not be married whatsoever. No, it was, I wish you were like me because I have devoted my entire life to God. And God has given me a spiritual gift of abstinence, of not desiring and not burning with passion. As he then later writes throughout all his other books. So, People, definitely today, as we see with the new apocryphal, or so, so on and so forth with the New Testament, it has not been an issue. We look at the writings of the Puritans uh, throughout the past several hundred years, writings of the Reformists. This isn't really an issue that they had to deal with. And the issue why we have to deal with it today is because in the 1940s to the 50s is when they found the scrolls in the Dead Sea Scrolls and a lot of these apocryphal books started surfacing. And so now, several several decades from that time, they are so readily available. You can go on the internet, you can read the Book of Enoch, read the Gospel of Thomas, read the Gospel according to Peter, and you can read these. Um, as believers, as believing that this is the inerrant Word of God, we need to be able to decipher what is the word of God and what is not. Just like the Hebrews, just like the Jews through the Old Testament were able to determine, okay, the uh, prophet Isaiah, okay, that is the word of God. The prophet Jeremiah, um, King David, his words, they are prophetic. Whereas uh, Tophet or Second Ezra, okay, those weren't actually prophetic. Um Today, we are in definitely a different category than they were the past several hundred years. Because since it is so readily available, they're able to read through that and say, oh, well, why isn't this in there? Oh, well, that contradicts this. It's like, okay, let's break that open a little bit. Um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, why are you talking about the gospel, Peter? Just go to Acts chapter 2, and you'll hear Peter tell the gospel of Christ, repent, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, but forgive him for your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And if you just keep reading, he's got it all right there. Yeah. So they don't need these other things that there's no, they weren't accepted by the early church. They right. Weren't. 
Well, and uh, and so looking at that of when when we're able to decipher what is scripture and what is not. Um, say that last sentence again. Uh, okay, uh, say the gospel according to Peter. When you read, when you actually read it, which most people that use it as a counter argument don't, they say, "Oh, well, what about the gospel according to Peter? Why isn't that in the Bible?" Well, more times than not, you can just ask them, "Well, have you read it? Do you actually know what it says?" And more, more times than not, they'll say no. Because if you actually read through it, it's a bit strange. Uh, the New Testament apocryphal books is is interesting because you take the four we have: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The other apocryphal gospels, they fill in what I guess people would say are missing in the New Testament. So like, I think I said it last week, the, the gospel according to Peter, it recounts the, uh, the actual time before Jesus steps out of the tomb. Nowhere in the other four gospels do we ever see that. We don't see any account of where Jesus actually rolls the stone away. Well, we see that in the gospel according to Peter, the gospel according to Thomas. It gives us, us, it gives us that account. And it's strange because it tells us that Jesus rolls away the stone and he steps out of the tomb and he's like a hundred feet tall. His head is in the clouds. So he's, he's this massive Jesus. And then from behind him steps out a cross. A cross follows him out and then the cross starts to talk and to starts to preach and teach to nobody there except in the Gospel of Peter saying that Peter was there. Well, if you read the rest of the Bible, Peter wasn't there. Uh, who was the first that that actually saw the empty tomb? It was the Marys, Mary Magdalene and one of the other Marys. Uh, I don't know if it was Mary, Jesus's mother or not. Uh, but they showed up and he wasn't there anymore. Nowhere do we see an actual account of Jesus coming out of the tomb. So th multiple times, the other apocryphal books kind of fill in these missing pieces throughout the, the first four Gospels that we have. Um, so taking that a little bit further of... Uh, oh, man. Well, one of the things that I read when I was going through the apocrypha once, that it was just totally dumbfounded me. Was that there was I can't remember which one I was thinking it was Maccabees but it may be wrong. They were talking about when Jesus was a child, he would make clay animals and then make them come to life to entertain the other children. Oh, and I'm like, what? Yeah. In one of them, Jesus killed a kid for bumping into him. I think. I think. I think that's what it was. Yeah, that was a yeah. New Testament apocrypha. Yeah. 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 Are these likely excluded because there's no way to corroborate them or eyewitnesses? One. Yeah. Not written in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses or by eyewitnesses at all, because they're actually dated to be second, third century, whereas all these are dated uh, pre uh, Revelation. They say it was finished at about 90, 90 A.D., whereas all the others were written second, third century. One dating, two corroboration, and three they contradict the rest of Scripture. Is they contradict what could be corroborated and was written earlier on, and there's also no way to corroborate these other random stories. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Are all of the books of the Old Testament referenced in the New Testament? Not all of them. No. 
Uh, yeah, reading through, looking at the times that Jesus quotes, looking at the time that Peter or Paul quotes Scripture. They use a lot of the Old Testament, but they don't use all of it. Like, I don't believe they ever reference Esther or Ruth or anything like that. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they aren't read that by God. They just weren't useful at that time for teaching, rebu- rebuking, and, re- and reproof. Right, um, but, they, but the early church accepted all of the books. Right, of the right, right. And we actually have manuscripts for that. Right. Within the first century, we actually have a letter from one of the early church fathers that has all but just a few of all 66 books. And that's within the first, or it would be, I guess, second century, but it was like 130 to 140 A.D., and then when we actually have a complete record of all 66 books, is is like 350 to 360 A.D. Um, whereas you don't actually see it physically until probably 4th or 5th century. Um, just side note. But yeah, so getting into deconstruction, getting into progressivism today... Um, which one do you hit first? Deconstruction. Deconstruction. Okay, cool. So deconstruction, one that just sounds bad. More more times than not, it's they're not actually calling themselves deconstructionists or anything like that. But what they're doing is they're deconstructing their faith. Okay, what is construction? Building. You are building something. So what is deconstruction? You're tearing it down. What they are doing is they are going through Scripture and... This, this, in my opinion and my belief, is the most dangerous thing that we are going through, bar none, especially right now. Um, because they aren't going through saying, oh no, this isn't the word of God. What they're doing is they're going through and saying, actually, that doesn't mean what you think it means. It actually means this. Romans first chapter. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, let me go to... Let's go 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. So this is the Apostle Paul writing Timothy. He says, Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound works of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords that accords with godliness he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy dissension slander evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth and deprived of the truth imagining that godlessness is a means of gain godliness is a means of gain but godliness with contentment is great gain For, uh, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world but if we have food and clothing we with these we will be content so he's telling Timothy that there are going to be false teachers. There are going to be these people that surface that are teaching things different and contrary to what I'm teaching you, to what Christ is teaching you. A very big side of this deconstruction movement that we see today is they're 
saying, oh, Paul was a sexist. Paul hated women. Saying that Paul, most of Paul's writings are just based on his opinion. And the dangerous part about it is that they're not just saying that. They're saying, oh, well, our scholars that have looked at the original Hebrew and the original Greek texts, and they've looked at all these different things, are actually saying that this means this. Okay. Take it back to the beginning. What were, what did Satan do to Eve? What did he say? Did God really say that? Yeah. And that's what they're doing. Oh, well, is that what that actually says? And so, and this is where it gets hard because you can't really have a discussion or a conversation with them because it gets into, oh, no, that does not mean that. It means this. We're like, well, no, my scholars that I listen to or I look at or I've read say that actually means this. It's like, well, okay, um, the past 2,000 years of church history, these men throughout history that, as Paul Washer would say, they have forgotten more about God than I will ever know. These men all aligned with this means this. And now all of a sudden within the past 30 years, they're saying, oh, actually, no, that didn't mean that. That actually means this. And whenever you say, well, okay, for the past 2,000 years, all these men have been saying this, and they've all agreed with each other that it has said this. Well, then they get into that side of, oh, well, actually, the patriarchy is evil, and it's a cause of the fall. And it, the only reason why men are in charge is because sin entered the world. And you can't have a conversation with them because men are evil, which, okay, I do agree with that but not on the same basis that they do. Um, so it gets really hard to even have a conversation with them because we don't look at Scripture the same way. We look at it as the inerrant Word of God, but so do they. But we are reading it from the way that the early church fathers transcribed the original six into 20,000, the way that these men of God have carried on preserving scripture for the past 2,000 years. And now within the past 30... And the way it actually reads. And the way it actually reads, yeah. <laughs> and they all agree with it. When you can go read a text in scripture, you go back to the 1600s and read uh, a Puritan or a, a reformist's um, context of that part of scripture. Then you go back to the 1500s, 14, 12, all the way down to the first century, and they're all saying the same thing you could probably bet that that's what it means. Versus, they're all saying this for the past 2,000 years. This guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And then within the past 30 years, you have this select few of scholars and the theologians who are saying, oh, actually, no, they're wrong. They're wrong because they're men. And now we're, we're saying it means this. And it's just, it's wild to me. There's no, there's no basis. There's no historical basis. There's no scriptural basis at all. Society today doesn't need a historical or a scriptural basis for any of this. I mean, it's mirroring the way society is going now. It does, yeah. I mean, you know, 2,000 years ago and up until 50 years ago, we knew what male and female meant. You know? <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, it's true. And look at it now. Uh, well, no, that's not really what... <laughs> Well, yeah. they're, they're trying to do the same thing with the scriptures. Yeah, well, they got their alphabet wrong. 
<laughs> that's right, that's right. At the end of the alphabet, just X, Y, Z, and you'll know. But <laughs> look, that, let's go back to the sources of these things, okay? Yeah. Critical theory came out of the Frankfurt School. Look that up. That was between Frankfurt World School War I and Germany and World War II, and it, became, it was the philosophical basis. Marxism. Yeah, Marxism and the entire Third Reich came out of that, that thinking. Okay, and all the experiments they did on people and the justification to annihilate the Jews and Christians. It all came out of that, the thinking in the Frankfurt School of a bunch of philosophers. Yeah. Okay. And where did this, all of this, um, uh, the second thing you were talking about, the... Deconstruction uh, or uh, progressive? Well, progressive deconstruction, but the, uh, the what? Progressive? Yeah, the, this, this whole, yeah, the whole progressive deconstruction thing. Um, this comes out of French philosophers and German philosophers. Would you trust either? <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Okay. Uh, some of their art is great. Uh, you know, their war machines are amazing, but <laughs> would you really trust you? And it led to what is called today postmodernism, mm -hmm. right? Postmodernism. But they don't, here's if you're, if you're in a debate with one of these people, ask them, okay, when you get your bank statement, do you believe that what it says is actually what it means? Unfortunately. <laughs> when you get your prescription from the pharmacist, do you believe that what it says is actually what it means? Nobody can live in a, in this chic, uh, super cool, postmodern uh, philosophy. Yeah. Not really. You can't live there. It's not real. Do you trust your government? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but okay, and that's where that's what this this whole uh, thing is. That's where it's coming from. Yeah. Probably ought to do a whole thing. I was gonna say yeah, we're not diving too deep into that because that's yeah. massive. But but th <laughs> yeah. those are the sources of these of these challenges. Okay. Right. And what that is is people are searching for teachers that confirm what they want. Ephesians. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and on. Um, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's it. People are searching for teachers that confirm what they want. Uh, other scriptures that talks about uh, the tickling of your ears. How many times have you looked up something that you're wanting to study? Okay, you you look up online for a, a sermon or a podcast that talks about what you're, you're listening to or what you're uh, studying at the time. And then you start to listen to it and you're like, ooh, ugh, I don't agree with that. I don't like that one. Okay, do you continue to listen or do you turn it off and try to find something else? That is a hard topic. My rule of thumb is if I start to not like it, I finish it. And I pray, all right, all right, Lord, am I wrong? Or am I just not looking at it right? Or are they correct? And then once I listen to it, I go back to scripture. And if it is just because your flesh doesn't like it, 
Or is it because the spirit within you says, "Eh, no, that is wrong. That is false. And what we are seeing with this deconstruction movement are you have these people that are searching for these teachers and they find them and they like what they're saying. Why? Because it reaffirms what their flesh wants and it reaffirms what their flesh likes. Um, I'm not going to get too deep into other things that they're going through because I don't want to stir the pot. (laughs) In Galatians, I think it's Galatians, Paul says that if we or even an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than what we preach to you, let it be thoroughly condemned. If they're sitting there and perverting scripture, then that's not a safe place for anybody to to listen to them to be. Right. That's Galatians. Unless you want to listen for... um, uh, entertainment to see what <laughs> yeah. their, how weak yeah. their arguments actually are. But you need to be rooted in Scripture. Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Uh, starting verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another God, another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. Yes, let him be accursed. Uh, And then let's go to um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm just going to read chapter 3. That's a good one. So chapter 3. 2 Timothy. Godlessness in the last days. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Avoid. The Greek word is uh, apotropo. That means to turn away, literally to leave them, leave them alone. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jebreus opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will, they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. And we're seeing that today. We are seeing these these false teachers popping up. We're, fall, we're seeing fellow believers being swayed by them, as we've read in Timothy, as we've read in Ephesians. And as it says, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Ichnium, in Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me, 
Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from children and how from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable by teaching, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we see Paul telling Timothy that these things are going to happen. They were happening during his time. That's why he was addressing it. They're still happening today. This deconstruction movement isn't necessarily new. That's why Paul was addressing it. The reason why it is so apparent today is because of the new apocryphal books, because of these men that have such a... I mean, it is so readily available for you guys to go straight to the original Hebrew texts, the Greek texts. All of us are theologians. All of us are. Um, uh, You can go to an interlinear Bible. It has the Hebrew there. You can look up each individual Hebrew word and see what it means. So now we have these scholars within the past 30 to 40 years that have been going through it saying, oh, I have read the original Hebrew, and actually what this word means is this. It's like, okay, they might be right, but what does the, again, again, context is key. What does the rest of Scripture say? And they're playing a very dangerous game. Do you have any more on Yeah. Well, we're going to, we're bad out of time for today, so. um, They haven't started playing yet. We're fine. Yeah, but well, and I'm not going to get into what I have here uh, on deconstruction. I'm going to get into that next week. So I, I put up there. John Cooper says it best. I, t- I took a, a pretty long Facebook post that John Cooper, uh, he's the lead singer of band Skillet, but he does a podcast uh, called Cooper Stuff that I listen to pretty frequently, and he is solid. I mean, he very he is, godly man. Um, someone I've looked up to over the last few years as he's gone down this path of, of getting into deconstruction, getting into progressivism. Uh, and so I adapted one of his Facebook posts, and I'm going to read it to you guys next week because it's pretty long, and we'll dive into that, and actually really get into what deconstruction is uh, and give some specific examples. Um, you know, it, it's actually something that I've been seeing people that I know kind of start going through yeah. some of this, and especially when he, when Austin mentioned uh, the, the the sexism in men and, and yeah. men being the patriarchy and that being an issue and that being something that the Bible is wrong about, um, or the Bible doesn't actually say that, right? Yeah, I'm starting to see that, and, and starting to see that creep up with people that I know. You probably see it with people that you know starting to creep up, and it's something that's, uh, like I said, it's the biggest threat to the church today. It, it's going to make the church ineffective um, when it creeps into to your to your church. I, I'm not saying it's creeping here, but I'm saying in general when it creeps into your church, and you start hearing something like this from the pulpit, I want you to be able to recognize it and, and be like, okay. This is a red flag. I need to kind of keep an eye on this and maybe even start making some noise and be like, hey, this is not what the Bible says. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to dive into that more specifically in more detail next week, uh, what deconstruction actually is. And there, he makes some pretty um, – a couple like humorous you know, comparisons to kind of make it easier, easier for us to understand and kind of put it on the level of you know, people like me. So – 
Biblical minimalism. We'll yeah. talk about that next week. But uh, so we're gonna do that. We'll talk about progressive Christianity a little bit too. I know Simon has has done some a couple sermons on that. He's done some youth stuff on that. But we're gonna maybe look at that a little deeper as well next week. So um, I'm gonna send out the last week's and this week's email probably today or tomorrow sure for those who didn't. Okay, calm down. Um, <laughs> for those, who, thank you for your effort. My hands are washed. Yeah. I've got nothing to do. <laughs> okay, look in my in my defense. <laughs> I didn't do it this week because I added to it. Like I, I didn't want to just send out the same email twice, so I added two last week's for this thank week. And all right, thank you. But uh, I'll get those sent out for those of you who have the email address. Um, any other last questions, comments, concerns, rebuttals? Okay, good. And yeah, if you have questions, please ask them. Like we're we're just rambling on up here, so if you got a question, let us know. I think that. Talking about deconstruction, not in this church, might be dangerous because Satan is always looking for an opportunity, and we have to always be on guard for things like that. Even you know, yeah. Even if it's just among a member who says something, right? We've got we've got to always be on guard. And that, for me, that's the whole reason why I'm studying what I'm studying and doing what I'm doing is so I we can recognize these things and kind of nip it in the bud, right? And be like, okay. I, we're moving this direction again. I'm saying we, not specifically here, but just right. we're moving this direction. Let's 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 turn it back. Let's get right. back on the right path. Well, well and like Dennis alluding to, but I mean, I could even go down that route and not know it, and somebody needs to point out, hey, not you. You realize where you're. That is not knowing what deconstruction is, and. Well, and, say something, right. maybe half believe it, and they're like, wait a minute, you better check up your beliefs. Well, and most of these people, exactly, they're not saying, oh, yeah, I am deconstructing. They, they're not Some of them that are, terminology. by the way. Some of them, <laughs> Some of them are. <laughs> but most of them are not, and that's it. It's, are you your brother's keeper? Well, yes, you are. It is our responsibility to look at each other and say, hey, what you're doing is not scriptural. This is why. Yeah, and exactly what you said, it, it's you, you turn around – you know, three months down the road, you turn like, how in the world did I get here? I was just over there. And you don't realize it. It's that subtle kind of slow fade into, into yeah. this that, that's really dangerous and, yeah. and something that we need to watch for. So, And, well, and uh, one yeah. more thing. So in what it comes down to is, okay, we've talked about the Apocrypha. We've talked about these extra things. We um, Looking at the different religions, looking at Mormonism, looking at Jehovah's Witness. Um, is it fruitful to know these things? Yeah, sure. But... Uh, taking a, a, a play out of the playbook from the, the FBI, their, um, uh, their counter uh, fraud unit, whenever they are looking at uh, fake bills, the hundreds, the twenties, whatever it is, there are too many to go through and say, okay, this is this type. Okay, this is this type. There, there are hundreds, if not thousands. It is impossible. What they need to do is they go to the real thing and they study it. They study the real thing, every single part of it, so that if something comes up that is not the original, they're like, "Oh, I, oh yeah, that's not what I've been what I've been looking at." And we need to do the same thing. We have the resource to study, to look at the original, to be so enveloped with the Word of God that if something comes up that does not match it, it's not because we've studied all these other things to know what they are. It's because we've studied the real thing. And that's the approach that we need to take. 
Yeah, and, and that's also why when you read through, uh, I'm going to probably put together a little study on it because I wonder how many books in the New Testament don't talk about false teaching. I'm not sure if there is even one as I've been reading through. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to, I'll, I'll put that together at some point, but um, that's why they give they give examples, mm. right, of, of false teachings. Yeah. But it's not a comprehensive list because the number of things that, that people under demonic influence or just their own depraved minds can come up with is, uh, you know, for all, practical intents of our minds in infinite spiritual well, innovators can come up with all kinds of things particularly if they sell god says right. it himself in genesis at the or at the tower of babel yeah he says anything that they propose will be nothing will be there's, impossible there's no for them there is all no the different kinds of, of corrupted spiritual practices <clears throat> yeah, and physical practices and mental practices that we could come up with is almost infinite so yeah. so the bible gives us warnings and then they give us some examples but it's not a comprehensive list exactly so, but then it tells us what to do and the berean this is uh act 17 11 the Bereans were more noble-minded for they received the word with great eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see whether it was, what was true and they didn't okay. argue what was scripture and what was it <laughs> no that's right exactly that's right. yeah yeah so so they were checking what was in uh what was being proposed and yeah. the thoughts and the ideas against scripture and if it matched You're up supposed to do it every day yeah. yeah well i've yet to see and and hear of a story of anyone who has deconstructed who at the end of their whatever process they were going through were were closer to christ i have yet to right. see that yeah, it, it right. almost it's almost a, always leads to leaving the faith progressing yeah. and, and walking out hell we have a way we, we judge them by their fruit, not by their word. Right. Yeah. So if we don't know them, we don't see their fruit, we can't accept their word until we can judge yeah. by their fruit. Yes. All right. So thanks for coming, guys. Um, Kevin, will you wrap us up? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, uh, well, just being able to, to, to worship and praise you today, Father, uh, hear a message, um, and Lord, to, to dive into your word and, and be equipped to uh, to defend it, Father. Uh, your, your word is rich, it's active, it's alive, and, uh, and Lord, I just pray that we all uh, can have a proper love and, and adore it, Father, so that uh, um, we respect, Lord, that, that you know, we need to change to it. We don't need to adapt the Bible to fit uh, fit us, Father. Amen. Uh, I thank you so much for giving it to us, so much for preserving it, Lord, and uh, just proving that it is still um, just as useful today as it was when it was written. Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. 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 Where's the first guys? Right,